All right, you can have a seat. So usually right now we pray a prayer, right? We pray the prayer every week. We're going to do that in just a minute, right? But before we do, I want to explain something. I forgot my notes. I should probably grab those. I don't get lost. Um, this month, so we have this, we have this sentence that guides uh, what we do, right? We come here to do what we just did. We get recentered and realigned. You felt that, right? With our king for the other hours of the week. How many hours are there in a week? 126, I said right to you. How many? 168. Wow, more than I thought. It's a long week. Right? So we come here for one-ish, right? And there's 167 more. I was way off for service, Lyle. Thank you. So we come here to gather and then, and then to go. So there's this sentence that we use to help guide us as we do that. And we want to be a people who are flourishing in love for God, love for neighbor, and love for the world. So real quick, just for me, uh, flourishing. Sometimes when I think of something flourishing, I think of the end product. Does anyone else think about that? Like the flower is bloomed, it looks beautiful, right? But that's not what we're saying. It's like we're flourishing. We're always in process, right? So we're always in the process of learning to love God, love our neighbor, which we say is people that we live with primarily, and love for the world, so we want to be a people who, um, for God to love the world, right? That he sent his only son, right? So the world will be saved through him. So this month, we want to pay special attention to that last portion, love for the world, all right? So there's this church. It is in Israel, slide four. It's called the church of, I want to say it right, the Paternoster. You can't see it here, but if you were to walk the halls, you would see the prayer that we pray every week in 100 languages, and I guess if you go and sit in, in there and listen, you will hear the Lord's Prayer in every language you can think of. And people are just moved to hear the world praying the same prayer. Because we're one family under God, right? So we want to replicate that as best we can here. Because we want to be people who can see, who love the world like our King. So to start each service in Advent in both rooms, you're going to hear the prayer that we pray in a different language from someone who belongs to our church family. And then next week in the fellowship hall, you're gonna see those prayers hanging. And we're gonna move those to the top floor of the lighthouse. And you're also, some weeks, you'll hear the scripture being read in that same language. We hope what we're doing is we're, we're tilling the soil of our hearts so we can love the world like Jesus does. So I'm gonna have Bert come up and Bert is gonna pray in Dutch to kick us off. The Onse Vader, right? Is that how you say it? Onse Vader. So listen to the words that I'm, we're going to pray together in English. And then Bert is going to read the scripture, Matthew 24, 36 to 44 in Dutch as well. And then we'll read it. Okay? Sound good? So let's pray. Shall we pray? Onse Vader, die in the hemel zijt, uw naam worden geheiligd, uw koninkrijk kom, uw wil geschieden, op de aarde zoals in de hemel. Geef ons heden ons dagelijks brood en vergeef ons onze schulden zoals wij ook onze schuldenaars vergeven. En leid ons niet in verzoeking, maar verlos ons van de boze, want van u is het koninkrijk en de kracht en de heerlijkheid in de eeuwigheid. Amen. All right, would you pray? If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right, now we're going to read. If you want to follow along, you can. Page, let's see, 982, 36 through 44. Let's see if you can track with Bert. She reads, then I'll read it next, okay? Okay, I'm going to read from Matthäus 24, verse 36 tot 44. Maar die dag en dat uur is aan niemand bekend. Ook aan de engelen in de hemel niet, maar alleen aan mijn vader. Zoals in de dag, dagen van Noah waren, zo zal de komst van de zoon des mensen zijn. Want zoals ze bezig waren in de dagen voor de zonvloed met eten, drinken, trouwen en een huwelijk geven, tot op de dag waarop Noah de ark binnenging en het niet merkten dat de zonvloed kwam en hen alleen allemaal weggenomen had. Zo zal ook de zoon van de zoon des mensen zijn. Dan zullen er twee op de akker zijn en één zal aangenomen en de andere zal achtergelaten worden. Er zullen twee vrouwen malen met de molen en één zal aangenomen en de andere zal achtergelaten worden. Wees dan waakzaam, want u weet niet op welke minuut uw heren zal komen. Maar weet dit, dat de Heer des huis geweten had in welke nachtwaak die dief komen zou, hij waakzaam geweest zou zijn en niet in zijn huis zou hebben laten inbreken. Wees u ook daarom bereid, want op een uur waarop u het niet zou denken, zal de zoon des mensen komen. Amen. Even get ramp. I asked her to do that like last Tuesday. Thank you. She knew she was praying, but I asked her to read. So I was tracking with her when she said Noah. That helped me a little bit. All right, so I'm going to read the passage. And so our plan today is, uh, I'm gonna, well, before I read it, I have a couple questions for you. I want you to think about it, okay? Because I think you'll recognize it. At least some of us will recognize it. But I want us to think a little differently about it today, okay? So they'll be on the screen here just a moment. Can you give me slide number five? So before I read it, think about these things. What if we're not left behind we get to stay. What if we're not left behind? We get to stay. Next slide. As you listen, who's taken and who remains? All right? You ready? And I'm going to ask you to discuss with the person next to you. And then uh, we'll see if I ask you to speak or not. I'm not sure. All right. Matthew 24, 36 through 44. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, that's Jesus, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding it with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known on what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. 
so you must also be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. People of God, it's the word of God. Can you give me that slide number six again? If you're willing to, someone next to you, is you listen, who gets taken and who remains? Go ahead. I'll bring it back. So what I want to do today is I want to look at this passage, eight verses. But then if you, if you had a Bible, does anyone have a Bible with you right now that has like the red letters? You may use one of those. So if you've got red letters, Jesus has a lot to say right here. Chapter 23, 24, 25, it's kind of like a, an extended conversation inside the temple, outside the temple. Jesus says a lot of stuff. So I want to focus on our passage, asking that question, and then we're going to look out outside the passage. I think he's talking about two different groups of people, a way of seeing the world, a way of living. All right? So let's look at the passage for a moment here. Starting, um, so there's three groups, Jesus, three groups of people, right? Noah, the people, there's two men, there's two women, right? Who's taken, who remains? So we come to this text with a kind of a thought, right? Who's read the Left Behind series? You know about the Left Behind series. Who's taken? The good people get taken, right? And bad people stay. That's what, like, what do you think. Good, gone, bad, stays. But let's look at the passage. Let's look at Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when Jesus comes back. For in the days before the flood, the people were eating, drinking, marrying. They're, they're just living life. They're living they didn't know what was going to happen when the flood came and it took them all away. So who stayed and who remained? Noah stayed. What was significant about Noah? He was in right relationship with God. He stayed. So Jesus tells some parables in Matthew 13. In his parables, he's got one about wheat and weeds. I mentioned it. He's got one about fish. In the wheat and the weeds, they pull both out at harvest time. The wheat is kept, the weeds are thrown away. Fish, if he gets fish, the good fish are kept, the bad fish are thrown away. So who stays and who goes? Those who are in right relationship with God stay. And those who are not, go. Is that a different way to think about it? So if that's the case, and his examples too, the next example is the men in the field, the women at the mill, there's just people living life. A lot of people were in the field. A lot of people were at the mill. So it seems to be to me that, huh. So Jesus begins the passage by saying, you don't know when I'm coming back. That's what the first Sunday of Advent is about. Jesus is coming back, and this is good news. We'll talk about it more later. Good news. I came once, I'm coming again. But if what is good stays, that should significantly change how I live. You see, I found these two groups of people outside the passage, and I'm going to call them these two. I'm calling them Bible people and kingdom come people, all right? So have some fun with me for a minute. Give me slide number seven. So when I say Bible, I mean people who believe that this is basic information before leaving earth. It's just how I can live, make it here, because earth is bad, right? Things aren't good. There's a lot of bad things. This is, this is my ticket, right? And, and I'm just trying to get out of here as fast as I can. That's what it's for. Evil, sinful people, they should be left behind. I should leave, and I get to be good, and they're not, right? But if you're a kingdom come person, which is a prayer that we pray every single week, what does it say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, as is in heaven. So, 
there seems to be two groups of people. The Bible people are trying to get out of here, and the kingdom come people are saying, God's saying, let's bring the kingdom here. Two totally different ways of seeing the world. Back in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about having good eyes and bad eyes. Remember that? He talked about our eyes a lot, actually. If you have a good eye, you can see the good. You have a, a worldview where there is a God. I can trust that God. He is a God of abundance and a God of love. I, I believe in him. I have a good eye. And if I have a good eye, salt and lights, right? We talk about this a lot. Salt draws out what is good, draws out the flavors. So if I need to draw out what's good, I need to be able to see what's good. So if I'm a kingdom come person, I am looking for ways to partner, so I'm being called to do with our God to draw out what's good. But if I'm just trying to get out of here, because there's a lot of bad people, I would say I almost have an, a bad eye a little bit. Like, because I'm fearful, I'm a little anxious, I'm trying to keep them away from me, I'm trying to get myself out of here. Very different ways of seeing the world. So, if what's good stays, and he uses real life examples, daily examples, that should dictate, wow, every single day matters. Everything I do, every day matters. The prayer again, give us this day our daily bread. This day. That should really change how I treat people, how I love and serve. When we say love, willing the good of someone and serving someone, it's giving up some of the things that we think that we want to need because we want those people to find out who Jesus is. We want to make our relationships right with them, which takes compromise, knowing who they are. Hmm. Very, very different. So in the passage then, so that's the, the center if you go into 23, Jesus addresses some people. And at the end, I think like he talks about it again. He has parables. So I want to talk at, look at what happens in chapter 23. He has seven woes. Then he has three groups of people and he has three parables. And it seems to me the parables should dictate how we now live. So in chapter 23, if you want to follow along, you can. There are seven woes. Jesus is talking to the priesthood, the people who are supposed to be bringing the kingdom. They've been charged with letting people know who God is and what he is like and what it means to be a part of that family. Very beginning, you, you are blessed. You're supposed to go be a blessing. Go be salt. Go be light. Grow my kingdom. Be creative. Work with me. They're supposed to be doing that. But Jesus is saying, you are not. And actually, Isaiah, which is a prophet, has six woes. Jesus adds a seventh well. But if I could summarize them, this is what he has to say about these people who are supposed to be ushering in the kingdom and people and loving people, sharing who God is. This is what he has to say. People want to enter the kingdom, but the door is closed. So people cannot even get into the temple. You will not let them in. In Deuteronomy, it says that the Lord's portion is his people. His people are his portion. That's who he values. That's what he treasures. And God, for God so loved the world. So he loves everyone. But the priests are not welcoming them in to know who he is. Second thing he has to say. Once someone does turn, once someone does, hey, I think I do want to follow this God, 
They're being shackled by expectations and religiosity, sin management, as we've been calling it, doing the right things. Since they're not, they're not even get to live in the kingdom, they fight their family all the time. Next thing he says, woe to you, because your words mean nothing. They've built in loopholes in all their systems so they continue to be wealthy and affluent and do, do more stuff they want to do while keeping people down. They have loopholes in all of the language to help them do what they want to do. Fourth one, they care so much about the, the, keeping the rules that they're not actually doing anything for anyone. So his example is about tithing. He's like, you, people are, are giving. We should give. Right? We sing a song here. It's a doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Right? You believe in God. You believe all these things are good gifts. Right? You should be generous. But not just with your resources, Jesus says. Because what you're doing, you're generous with your resources, but you're not practicing justice and mercy and faithfulness. And justice in the Bible, justice and righteousness are oftentimes paired. It's because justice restores and righteousness is right relationships. So, yes, you should be generous, but you need to be restoring right relationships with people. That's justice and righteousness. And you're not doing that. You're missing it. So woe to you. Next one. They're so consumed by what people see, they've forgotten what's inside. Remember the iceberg last couple weeks? The, 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 the me that no one sees but is me, what's below the surface? And Jesus kind of says, his example is about cleaning a dish. He's like, no, I mean, dishes, kitchen 101. If you clean the inside of the dish, what happens to the outside? It gets cleaned as well. But you're just cleaning the outside. You're not caring about the inside. And the final will that he adds in there, essentially, is that you think you're better than everyone. They have a self-righteous attitude towards everyone. It says, not the way of the kingdom. And that is not why I came. So back to the beginning. So there's what is, we're not trying to get out of here. We're trying to bring the kingdom here. There's two groups of people, and it dictates how we live. He's saying, woe to you if that's how you treat people. That is not what you're supposed to do. So, woe to you. You're not caring for my people. You're not loving my people. Just, I mean, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. Don't worry about when I come back. Who doesn't matter to you. What matters is right now. And he cares about our eternity very much, right? He wants us to be with him. But how do we live? So he has three parables, which expand on how we then wait in Advent. We wait for him. Slide number uh, eight. We actively wait with undistracted excitement. First parable we'll talk about. Second parable, we will use what we have been given to grow the kingdom. And third, we will love those who feel left behind. So the first one is about, it's a parable about bridesmaids. In Jesus' day, whenever you were a bridesmaid, you had a groom. The groom would go to prepare a place for you, and he would come back and get you. Does that sound familiar to anybody? John 14. But we're waiting because you don't know when he's coming. They didn't have cell phones. There's no text messages or Instagram. Can't snap anybody or whatever we do, TikTok. You have no idea. When's he coming back? I don't know. But in the story, half the bridesmaids, the virgins are ready and half are not. But they are, when he comes back, it is the party to end all parties. The whole community gathers to celebrate. So be ready. 
I heard someone say once, it stuck with me, that we sing a lot of songs about heaven, but we don't necessarily act like we really wanted to be here. It's convicting. You know, as I read the woes earlier, um, I had this last night I was reading before I went to bed, and the person said this, oftentimes we, we feel convicted, right? We feel convicted. And we have a hard time with the word conviction sometimes because it feels negative. Or I don't know why we do that. But the Lord's trying, he's trying to change something. So he said, I like using the word expose. So when the Lord points something out to me, he said, Clay, I'm exposing your heart. Look at how you treat people. Look at how you're loving your wife today. Look at how you're, are you, he's exposing me. And for some reason that feels a little more, I think we would, I think people, we would receive that a little better. To be exposed versus convicted. Instead of saying you're wrong, saying, ah, oh, there's just a better way. Okay, can, can I show you? So anyways, the bridesmaids, be ready, but they are undistracted. Nothing's going to get in the way. The other bridesmaids are, are asking, can I borrow some of your stuff? Can I have some of your things? They're like, no. Like, I am waiting. Get your own. So we are undistracted, especially in Advent. If we can be undistracted during Christmas time, we are special people, right? If you can be dialed in now, I think it's like, it's like crunch time in the game. It's the fourth quarter, right? If you can, if you can be all, all kinds of crowd noise, people are yelling and screaming at you, you can't even hear your teammates. If you can be dialed in the fourth quarter when there's so much going on, what are you gonna do the rest of the year? It's be easy, right? You don't rise to the level of the occasion. No, you, you move down to the level of your training. It's in those moments you see what you've actually done in here, not vice versa. So we are undistracted. Second parable. Um, talks about the parable of the talents. So if you want to follow along, it's uh, 25 verse 14. So I've learned a lot about this. There's way too much to tell you about right now, but it's been fascinating. So in this story, there's a master. The master goes away on a long journey. The master, before he goes away on the long journey, entrusts, because he trusts, his workers with five talents of I don't gold, five, two talents of gold and one talent. And as I've been learning, there's different thoughts. It's a lot of money. Like he is entrusting his workers with a whole bunch of money, right? And he says, I'm going to go. Here you go. And the first one has five. And he actually gives it according to their ability. That's important. He gives it according to their ability. So the first one gets five because he needs five. Next one gets two because he can have two. And the last one gets one. When he comes back, the one who got five has doubled it. He's grown it. Next one, who has two, what has he done? He's doubled it. He's grown it. You know what's so fun is that the master's response is exactly the same. Like in our world, whoever did the best gets the most praise and accolades, right? Exactly the same. Not here. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come share in your master's happiness. So, person who got five, I heard one person say, the master knows his servants. He knows me. He knows you. And he has given you specific gifts, skills, and resources that are specific to you and to me. Because he knows us. And it's based on, on who we are. So someone might get five. Someone might get two. It does not change how he feels when you partner with him. Exactly the same. Isn't that encouraging? 
I don't have to be like everybody else. I can be me the way that he made me with the passions that I have. He says, just really all he's saying is use what you got. A different person said that they thought the five, two, and one referred to the Old Testament in that there are five books of Moses. So the person knew God really, really well. Or the second person had two tablets, the Ten Commandments. They kind of knew, they knew the basics. And the last person has one. They just know who God is. That's it. Guys, it doesn't matter. You have five, you have two, you have one. Use it. Use it till I come back. Because we got to grow the kingdom. So whatever you got. I thought that was so encouraging. I don't have to be like somebody else. I was reading about Mother Teresa this week. I don't have to be Mother Teresa. She, she got like 20 or 30 or 40, right? And she, she multiplied it by a million. But th- that's her. God knows her and gave it to her specifically for her. And he's just as pleased with me if I use what I have to grow the kingdom. I think that's just so encouraging. Maybe it's just me. But the last person had won. And it's so interesting because the first one, say, so the master entrusted them with huge sums of money, and then he left. Right? That's kind of a big deal. The one who got one said this. Oh, next page maybe. Master, I knew you were a hard man. I was afraid. So I hid it. Do you want to know where the word hide is also used? It's used in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't you hide your light. Very beginning. Don't hide it. You share it. So he is scared because he thinks he knows who God is. He thinks God cannot be trusted. He thinks that God is a hard man. There's nothing in the story that would lead us to believe that is God's character, who he is. He just thinks that. So he hides it. And he doesn't grow it. At that point in time, the Lord says, then be gone. You're not part of the kingdom, which is a hard word. I'm not sure what to do with that all the way, all the time. That's what it says. So you partner with what you got. And I'm so encouraged by that. The last one, end time again, sheep and goats. When the Son of Man comes, he's talking about the end, which Jesus says, it doesn't matter when I come. I want you to think about how you live. And we're going to go back to those Pharisees or the Sadducees in a minute. When I come back, I'm going to gather all the nations and I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. How does he separate them? Based on how they loved each other. So perhaps Jesus is almost quoting Ezekiel 34 right here. Because in Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel is rebuking the people of God in that day. Let's know what Ezekiel had to say. Ezekiel said, woe, woe. We saw about the woes. Woe to the kings, the leaders, who take care only of themselves. You eat the finest foods, and you care only about yourselves. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost in general. You ruled them harshly and brutally. Because you, because of you, they were scattered and left the wild animals. So I will be against those shepherds. And so I, Jesus, I will search for my sheep. I will rescue them. I will bring them out from all the nations. I will bring them to my land. I will provide for them. I will attend to them. I will find the lost. And to those who left them, I'll provide justice. I felt exposed. Back to those, those priests. Who's, who's, so 
He's talking to specific priests. But who now are priests? We're a kingdom of priests, right? So he's not talking to me directly, but I'm gonna allow him to. He's exposing my heart. And those people were selfish and self-righteous and they were always right and they were doing what's best for them. And in doing that, they left behind people who wanted into the kingdom. Not everyone does, but they left behind people who did. So I've been sitting with that now for a couple weeks because I get to do that when I'm preparing. Man, Jesus, I'm coming. And when I come, what are you going to do until then? We're going to love those who feel left behind, who feel left behind because he has not left them behind. And we, I'm so struck by my own, I just talked about judgment a couple weeks ago, my own judgment. I predetermine people's destinies way before it's ever time. I make snap judgments at a person in a stage where I don't know how long they live or what will happen in their life. We get to be people because we have an undistracted excitement, focus on our king coming back. That's going to be the best day. We get to use whatever we got. And he celebrates everything that we, whatever we do for his kingdom, whatever gifts we use for him. He's, I gave those with you on purpose, with intention. Those were just for you. And when you use them, he's like, yes. Imagine a coach. I've been trying to help him do that for forever. It's like when you have like a little kid in a basketball camp, they finally make that layup with the right hand, it's exciting, but then the left hand's harder. They finally make that layup. It's like, yes, they did it. That's what he does. Come and enjoy. Come and share my pleasure, my joy in you. Oh, I'm just so encouraged by this passage. We can be encouraged, and we will not leave those who feel left behind. We get to go find them. The Lord does the work, but we get to partner with them and go find them. How exciting is that? Seek and save. He saves. We seek. We do it together. Oh, salt and light. The whole thing. Isn't it fun? All right. Ah. What if we're not left behind? We get to stay. What's formed in us gets to stay. And then the people that we love as we partner with our God they get to stay. Let's do that. Yeah? So I have a couple things for you. To think about this month as we, again, we're flourishing in love for the world. We want to be a people who see and know the world around us. Not just even in Pella, but outside of Pella. Right? Pella's great. We had family in town. They're like, man, Pella is incredible. So fun. The lights up town, it's great. But there's more. Right? We know that. So to do that, we have a couple ideas for you. Can you give me slide nine? We're creating intentional space in the auditorium starting next week. It's going to be contemplative, liturgical, slow, just quiet, contemplative worship space. Whoever wants to slow down and make extra room for our king this season. Second thing, December 16 through 18, we want to pray for the world. We're doing 48 hours of continuous prayer. Top floor to lighthouse. That's our missional floor. 
we can see out everywhere. And we are going to have guys and ways you can pray. We're going to pray for the whole world. You'll be invited to that, just so you know. There's a class that goes on at Central College. Matt Deal, we had a table right back there, probably after church. It's called God's Heart for the Nations. It's in January. You can go and hear what God is doing around the world. And he is doing some stuff. Whenever I think about God being on the move, I think of Aslan from the Lion from Lion Western Wardrobe. Aslan is on the move. You know what I mean? No. I was reading C.S. Lewis. And also, our partner Many Hands is expanding uh, what they're doing. So they've been serving and loving and, and, and living with people in Haiti. Uh, people in Haiti have moved over to the Bahamas. Um, uh, disasters, all kinds of stuff. So they are, exp- are expanding their ministry to go and partner with them in the Bahamas. And there's two trips in February and March. And you're invited. So think about it. Invite the, van- the band up and I'll pray. We look forward to the day, the day that you come. Jesus, we cannot wait. When all the things that, uh, there's a lot of hard things in life. So we look forward to that day. But we also love, we get to celebrate and be a part of what you're doing today. You're inviting us into it to use who we are, who you've made us to be, who you made us to be, not who I made myself to be, who you made us to be, to grow your kingdom and to love people, to welcome people. What an incredible honor that you're the kind of God who does that. I find myself sometimes dumbfounded that you do that knowing myself and knowing you. So we just say thank you. So make us more like you. I pray specifically for anyone in the room today who has felt left behind. I pray they would know that they are not. That you are still pursuing them, that you love them. And I also ask that you would use someone here in the room today to affirm that. We love partnering with you, God. Pray in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.